What up, Wizards fans? A way to help support this podcast is to go to Sneakus, S-N-E-K-I-S dot com. Sneakus, a DMV DC sports apparel company. They have a lot of new t-shirt designs up and a nice clearance sale going on right now as well. And at checkout, in our playoffs, part of your order will continually help support me in this endeavor. Now, let's get this show started. Sneakus, playoffs, do it. And now, it's the Pixel and Roll Show with Adam Magoodis. Welcome to another edition of the Pixel and Roll Show. We discuss Game 7 Misery with your Washington Wizards. Hello everyone, this is Adam McGinnis. It is May 16th, 2017 and ah, bummer, bummer, bummer. I do regret not having a podcast over the weekend so I could have talked about Game 6 for a long time, got myself jacked and not have to ignore the, the miraculous shot that John Wall made and how amazing That was to be at the phone booth last Friday night and then to experience the game last night with the Wizards playing well throughout until the late in the third, early fourth, and the Boston Celtics win, oh God, what's the score, 115 to 105 to win the series, four games to three. With me for therapy, Uh, he might be sober still or hungover from the, uh, the Wizards event he went to last night, I was at a different one commiserating with fellow Wizards fans here in the nation's capital, Mr. Rashad Mobley. Rashad, how do you feel? How's the hangover? Because I've been bummed. How are you, bro? Um, it's, it's still surreal. I, you know, I'm not going to keep saying, like Bradley Bill said yesterday, that the better team uh, won or didn't, that they were the better team. It's just... It was. I was trying to decide what's worse, to get blown out the way they did in Game 5 or to lose a last-second shot the way they did when they went home when Pierce was there. But I think this is what felt worse because you saw, you know, it's, it's like breaking up with a girl and you think you're over her and then you see her like the very night you get ready to seal the deal with the new girl and you see the old girl and it just, 
It sabotages your, your, everything. Yeah, and he, yeah, yeah, you're like shut down. You're like, damn, I, I didn't know I still had these feels. They're right, you're just all confused. It's like you can neutralize you. And all the things that we were worried about happened. Like Gortat, you know, didn't really show up. And the bench was a huge factor. The lack of a backup was a factor. And the uncertainty we had about Scott Brooks as the coach came into play. And that and the fatigue just just did them in and i just i didn't feel like so that's that's what frustrated me and it was kind of a methodical loss too because each time the lead just got a little more than six you knew that they weren't going to come back so it was a uh it was a tough day and as we just talked about before we went live it it makes it worse when the team that defeated you now has the number one pick which is yes, big, yes. that's just like a big fuck you to the Wizards. and the Wizards and on, have no pick have no pick <laughs> right, right. So, and, and on top of that, and we'll get to this later. On top of that, the guy who is, is in the top three of reasons why they lost yesterday, Gortat, went on a, you know, was kind of bitching and moaning today about how he's not appreciated and how he's going to ask his agent to see if it's the right fit. So it's just, it's like we couldn't even get a good twelve to fourteen hour moratorium on feeling bad. So that is a long winded way to say um, I have a. There's a lot of things going on. Yeah, I was. Pretty bummed all day. I mean, the the Russia presidency shit is so fucking wild that it does, in a weird way, give me some perspective about sports. <laughs> like, wow, look how messed up our government is. How crazy our reality show president dumb fuck is. That, wow, this is just sports. And the Wizards had their chances and then just didn't shake their way. And then, and he looked at me. Before the game started, they put... I don't know if you saw that graphic where... Each team had shot like the same, had scored the same in the first six games. It, it was incredible that how even the series really took, even though obviously the Wizards had blown them out uh, two games and the Celtics had blown them out one, and then the you know the Celtics came back you know after large leads in game one and two, and then the Wizards and Celtics had a back and forth game in game six with the Wizards hitting the game shot. Uh, John Wall is incredible, just unbelievable. Moment. We're still going to talk about that, but and then Game Seven plays out the way it did, and 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 you know I went off on that rant about Boston sports and how much I hate uh, these mass holes and how racist they were to Adam Jones, and and then it has to be the white guy Rashad Kelly Olynyk has to be done in by Kelly Olynyk. <laughs> That's the part yeah, I, 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 mean, couldn't, I couldn't get over today. It's like and he touches his hair nonstop. It's like Mitch Kramer on Days of Confused, always touching his nose. It drives me insane. And every big he abused, threes. Uh, at one point, uh, let's just start with Kelly Olynyk. I got a bunch of shit to say, but at one point in the fourth quarter, from the six, six and twenty-eight minute mark to the three twenty-six mark, Kelly Olynyk had twelve points. Twelve point run. John Wall went scoreless in the last eighteen minutes of this game. Bradley Beal did not score a point in the last five minutes. Now there's reasons why, but are we really? That's how this. That's how the season ends, but Kelly fucking Olenek, Rashad? Kelly Olenek was was showing us the full repertoire. I mean, it was, it, it felt like he was in college again. I mean, every little thing that he had in his game, he was he was killing it. And Every big, too. Gorta, Mahimi, Smith. I mean, he, Mar- Morris, he gave it to all of them. He did, although he gave it, it seemed like he gave it to Gorta the most and Mahimi yes. the most. Um, but I, you know, there was no... There was no switch up in coverages. There, there was just, there was none of that. And, you know, I, I, you have to do something. You have to foul him hard. You have to, I don't think Jason Smith got enough run 
with Gortat off the floor, put Jason Smith on him and just let him go at it because he's, you know, he's quick enough and he has enough lateral, he has good lateral movement. He could have stayed with him and then if Olenek had gone down, Olenek had gone down in the post, Jason Smith certainly had enough brawn to give him some pushback. But, you know, it just, I don't know that you, it wouldn't have mattered how hot Olenek was if Wall or Beal were also hitting shots, because I think that would have kind of, you would have seen the ball kind of naturally gravitate away from Kelly Olenek and go back to Isaiah Thomas because he would have felt like, okay, this is getting away. We have to get back to our bread and butter. And that just didn't happen. The other thing that we saw in the third quarter that was very problematic was that Beal was bringing the ball up. And when he didn't bring the ball up, once he got the ball, he wasn't giving it back. And if you notice, the rest of the offense just kind of got stagnant. You know, they were watching. It was as if George was on the team, and they just were watching him work. And it it was a noticeable difference. I know that Wall was tired, but that's that's one of the tactical errors I feel like was made. I don't care how little confidence you have in the bench. You've been going with them all year, and you have to take Wall out at some point in the third quarter or Beal, and you have to let Brandon Jennings or Sadoransky or somebody this kind of weathers the storm, and if they lose the lead, at least he will have gotten a little bit of a rest. But he just—it's like he panicked. Like, no, 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 I'm not taking them out. And you know, Wall had to get rest within the game by not taking the ball up, but that broke the flow of the offense. And so there was this back and forth where Bill hit a three, Isaiah Thomas hit a three, Bill hit one, and then Isaiah—you know—Isaiah kind of took over, and that's where the lead was lost. It was like a contest, and I'm sitting there in the bar, like, why? Why isn't Wall touching the ball? Why isn't he going to the hoop? And I knew the answer, but that was the that was the turning point in the game. I mean, okay, so yeah, it was 76th all. Bill hit a three. Isaiah Thomas goes down and hits one. Wall missed one. He had no legs on it. And then Isaiah Thomas hits one. They go up three. And then Keith, uh, Keith Smart. Marcus Smart. Marcus, Marcus Smart hit one after Bill missed the layup. And right there, it was just – it was like a seven-point swing. And they're sitting there like, what – what just happened? I thought they were going to go into the fourth quarter with the lead, and they just got completely, not embarrassed, but they just got their heart stolen. No, that it, that was the determining factor of this game. I would just watch the game again because I'm a great podcaster for the people, and it was I did not want to do it <laughs> at all. We talked about you gave me a talking about girlfriends and old girlfriends. It's just like wow, I gotta like hang out with my exes somewhere again. That's how I felt. You know, like, I do not want to transpire, but hey, for the people, I want to be educated. I watched it all again, and that, and I broke down exactly that moment because the Wizards were up 76 to 72 with a couple, like, two or three minutes left in the third quarter, and they end up on a 13 to three run by three threes by by Boston. Uh, They end up starting the fourth on uh, you know on a nine two run so it ended up being a twenty what did I write down twenty two to five run twenty two to five run there Rashad and that was it I mean there was it, it was just you know they they hit some threes and they could have got some stops late a little bit it still would have been probably a little bit tough to come back at that point they'd still had a chance if they, if they could get some turnovers or lucky threes but that was the determining factor of the game because. Throughout that, the Wizards were down a little bit. They come up a little bit. The game would go between, you know, Wizards down six, up six, back and forth. I always felt they were in the position. But late in that third quarter, and that was the takeaway to me. That was the deciding factor. And and when I looked at those, I know you don't want me to go off on the refs because they did not lose because of the refs. But on that, Wall goes up in the lane 
when they're up by two points, they call uh, no foul. He lost the ball. It like almost touched, touched the top of the backboard for some reason. You know, like Wall's going to go in the middle lane, just throw it that much. I mean, maybe he lost it. I thought he got hammered. So did Wall. They go down. They call a bullshit foul on Thomas. He gets two free throws. Four-point swing right there. Should have been two free throws for Wall. Then Wall goes down for a drive. Beal goes down for a drive. And they don't call it at all. Yes, Wall's legs were not there. I don't know if those two were fouls, but they didn't get the calls. And they hit two threes back in a row after that. And it, and I'm sorry. And then also in the meantime, Beal had hit a three to go up. And then a Thomas hit a three. And, two, and that was just like the momentum just kind of swung uh, there. And the crowd was amped. So they go into the quarters. And you know, our good friend, old Wizards coach Doug Collins, always would talk about finishing quarters. And that was a good example of them finishing quarters well, strong, on that 13-3 run. And the crowd was jacked. And the Wizards were gassed. And I feel like if you're not, when you're up by four at that four-minute mark, that is when you take, you have to mm-hmm. take one of them out. You have to take Wall or Beal out. I thought, you had to take with, Wall, I thought you had to take Wall out for sure. Right, live with what the bench gives you. Put in Sadoransky, because if you put in Sadoransky as opposed to Jennings, at least at the very least, you're going to run clock, and it's going to, the, the plays will be run until someone gets an easier shot, as opposed to Brandon Jennings, who at one point literally dribbled from one side of the floor under the basket, went to the other side of the floor, and picked up his dribble in an awkward position. There just was no fluidity. He wasn't running the offense. And so I can understand if you didn't want to take Wall out and put Jennings in, but you have to put Sadoransky in. Give him a rest. Give him a four-minute rest. At the, at the very least, even if the same result happens as what happened with him in there and you're down by six, at least he's coming out fresh. Chances are Isaiah Thomas was not going to start the fourth quarter. So you're coming out fresh and you have a bit of an advantage. Maybe then Beal can rest a little bit. And no matter what, at the 10, maybe even the nine-and-a-half-minute mark, at that point you go with your with your starters, or at least with Wall and Bill. But at least they will have gotten a game rest of maybe four or five minutes, an actual rest of 15, 20, well, 15, and then you're ready to go down the stretch. But you know, I think you're you know, right. I think you take you take Wall out with like a minute or two left. You get him that timeout. You get him the fourth quarter. Then maybe you want to put him back in early earlier. I get it. But just when you rock him the whole way, did they play? They played the whole entire second half, correct? Until I the believe end. so. And so did yeah. Beal, right? Yeah. Have they ever done that all year? I don't believe I, so. I, I don't think so, right? When I heard somebody you know, on talk radio, which I never should listen to, was saying that real superstars. Don't get tired, and they can go. You know, oh. they can play 45, 46 minutes. It's like, come on, you can. Your body is conditioned to do a certain amount of minutes. And even Russell Westbrook had this customary rest when he would always come out of the game. John Wall in the second half was used to coming out of the game a certain time. He did it against Atlanta. I'll give you that, but I don't think you compare. You can compare Game Seven against the Celtics with that. That deciding game against. Hold on, hold on, some jackass is saying that what? Just because you're a great athlete, you don't get tired. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It was, it was a, it was, it was very entertaining to listen to. But well, I mean, Wall Wall played 44 minutes. Beal played 46. They're two, but they're the most they had was Horford at 40 and Thomas at 40. And you know, I mean, I know that's only four minutes. It doesn't seem that big of a difference, but it really was. And it really manifested, Rashad. I thought as a team. In several different instances, in crucial moments in the fourth quarter, there was a couple rebounds, there was a couple tip-outs, where the Wizards finally got some stops, but then they couldn't crowd the loose ball, even though they had out-rebounded Boston all game. And then, I think it was an Olenek three, 
where they just didn't close out well at all. It was like you could just see Wall was just not, he was just could not fight over that screen anymore. It was just done. He was, I mean, he's literally like huffing and puffing. And then Beal, I don't know, it was two or three minutes. And, you know, this, I don't want to rip on Wall and Beal because I thought Wall played pretty well uh, from an offensive standpoint. He had uh, 11 assists, only three turnovers, seven rebounds. Beal was sensational with 38 points, 12 of 22 from the field. He had uh, two assists and four rebounds. But there was a turnover late where Beal had this kind of turnover, and I was like, he hadn't really done that all game. And I was like, wow, like that was like a conditioning turnover. <laughs> right. I mean, Wall shot in the second half when his legs were at their weakest, shot one for eight from the three-point line and two for 13. And a couple of those shots, it just looked like he was short. He wasn't running like he normally does when he Did was really driving. T- didn't and, attack the rim that much as well? No, either. I mean, he was, he, like you said, he's tired. I mean, I guess we're beating a dead horse at this yeah. point, but it, it affects everything because if only Bill is getting off and no other player is, is really getting off or any kind of rhythm, it does affect things. And Otto was kind of in rhythm. He had eight points in the second half, but there was nobody who was doing as much as Bradley Bill. And it just, it again, I go back to the coach. You have to see that your players are tired and you have to trust the bench i don't think this is ernie grunfeld's fault because there was a stretch as we've talked about where the bench was playing excellent you know so i'm not going to sit here and blame ernie i blame the coach for not using the bench not using the right people off the bench putting sadaransky in and staggering wall and bill the way he's done so many times in this playoff and you know i understand kelly may have a knee injury you don't want to play him but you have to it's not the fact that your bench is weak you have to buffer the bench with the starter the way he did so many times during the year and just kind of hold on a six point deficit with your starting backcourt rested just feels and looks different than a six point deficit where they have yet to sit down and now they're going to have to play even harder that's just a daunting task to ask a superstar backcourt i don't care how well they're how well they're playing something's going to suffer if they're playing well on the offensive end they're, they're not going to give all the effort on defense it's like a russell westbrook situation and so you know, again, that's where it was lost. Now, because of Bill, they cut it to six in that fourth quarter, but he wa- he wasn't getting any help. You know, they, they couldn't get any, they couldn't get any stops when they needed them, and when they finally did, they would. The Boston was just well. Here's the deal, so you know, obviously the season's over. And that's always a shitty feeling, especially for everyone listening. And this ride. That, you know, I wanted to end with taking on LeBron and I wanted to know what it was going to feel like to be in the Eastern Conference Finals in the phone booth in Game 3 and 4. Uh, one of those moments, whether or not they could beat the Cavs, who knows, probably, you know, it would be an uphill battle. But I felt that this team was good enough to give them a shot. And, and this team was had played so good at basketball to be better than Boston. Now, they didn't make the enough winning plays in Game 1 and 2 to secure that. Didn't show up in Game 5. And faltered down the stretch here in you know the late third, early fourth, which cost them a game in, in game seven. And when you go down, you know, oh two, you gotta win four out of five. And that's a that is a tough, tough thing to do. And they just came up a little you know, uh eight minute run short. So I can't like hate, hate, hate about it. But but what bothered me this morning when I was just looking at this game, okay, we're just gonna analyze this game, Shad. And what has happened is like Boston, you know, crushed all those threes in game one. We were talking about, you know, the Wizards would shoot poorly. Hell, even in game six, dude, I think they, someone said that it was like the worst that a team had shot in an elimination game and won forever or something. Uh, and I, I don't have those stats out of me, but the Wizards shot really bad. 
But John Wall shot, shot bad. Shot yeah. eight for twenty five. No, I'm talking about game six, the game that the Wizards actually won. Like it was. Oh, me too. Me too. John yeah. Wall, he hit that last shot. Yeah, but he hit yeah, eight yeah. for twenty five that game. Yeah, and he started like one of eleven or something. Right. But as a team, it was some crazy stat. But we're trying, so I look at the stats, right? So you see, okay, Celtics shot fifty three percent from the field. The Wizards shot forty five. Even though the Wizards were shooting pretty well during the third quarter, and they just, I can't, I don't know what they shot in the fourth quarter. It's probably terrible. But the Wizards made 10 threes. The Wizards, the Celtics made 11 threes. So 34% for the Wizards, 42 for Celtics. Well, that's not that huge a difference, right? You go to free throws, 20 25, 23 29. Okay, pretty much a wash there. The Wizards out rebounded them, 53 to 39. Okay, they had the same nine of field goal attempts, so it's not like. Uh, they only got four offensive rebounds, but it felt like the four offensive rebounds they scored on each one of them for some fucking reason. Uh, assists. This is where I feel it was the difference. Assists. 27 to 18 Boston advantage on assists. Uh, the Wizards also had 15 turnovers to their eight turnovers. Fast break points, which killed them in game five, right? They had 15 tr- transition points in the first quarter. Boston did. Uh, 17 to 6. The Wizards' advantage, I think they had a 10-0 advantage uh, early in the game. But this is the one, Rashad, 58-40 to 40 points in the paint. And so it wasn't so much that some big guys down low. It was, dude, like cuts, backdoor, missing a man, not fighting over a screen. Like Smart and Crowder and Bradley would get layups. It was like these 58 points, it was just, a th- you know, Olenek, we've mentioned, you know, got loose on some... You know, some just ridiculously awkward plays. But there was a lot of just layups at the rim that they got that the Wizards did not. And that's one of the reasons why I thought what Gortas little rant at the end of uh, doing uh, exit interviews today was a little disingenuous because, yes, Gortat has notoriously done a lot of the little things. And I think that the writers of all and the coach have always given him props for setting excellent screens yes. almost to the point of being illegal and his ability to roll to the basket and kind of play that high pick and roll. We've given him props for that because, frankly, at, at different points during the season, he wasn't doing shit else. So, but for last night's game, he he missed defensive assignments. I mean, there were times when he was just caught in no man's land and he rotated entirely too late. And as you alluded to, I don't know how many times I saw Olenek, uh, Bradley, Isaiah Thomas, just in under the basket for what, especially Crowder. It seemed like he was the biggest. And how many times did Gorpot really make him pay? You know what I mean? Like, if you're, if that's going to happen, like, you fucking rock that motherfucker and take the ball out. Like, it was like Gortat right. didn't even do that. But, you know, at the, at the point that they were finally getting to the Celtics, man, I feel like you're just giving away a three-point play. I mean, they're at no that's, point. That's true. That's true. Was, they were so late on the rotation. Right. right. So it was just, I mean, and it's, this happened a lot in the first half, and I, it just I didn't know what was going on. And that's why I started off my comments by saying, the biggest concerns we had during that two and eight stretch when the Wizards were playing badly is defense and um, <clears throat> the bench, and th- those two things were they came back to haunt the, the Wizards. I mean, more so the bench than the defense. But you know, I the other point I have to make, and I know we're supposed to stay in this game, but the home team was undefeated in this series. Yep. Which which is fine, but you can only mention that with one caveat, and that is in the second game of the series, the Wizards' two best players had chances at nearly point-blank range to win the game and did not. You cannot say that for Boston on the Wizards' home floor. They didn't get to the point where 
They, I mean, Isaiah Thomas had a shot, a deep and well, a three point shot to, that could have offset Wall's shot if he hit it. But that's not like what Wall and Bill had. They both had shots. Uh, Walls was contested from the elbow. Bills, Bills, Bills was, was wide, wide open, open, wide open like, from the elbow, elbow. Right, and so I mean that that would have that would have turned things around completely, and, and they he, didn't. And he, and he airballed it. Right, so you know I, I do understand the home team was undefeated, but the Wizards had a chance to win it. Their two best players, and they didn't. So you know, I mean, as disappointing as it is, you, you can't be too disappointed uh, because they they did have their chances. Well, I, I just went down all the team stats and how it just it's just so frustrating this morning that it just felt like it was a winnable game, and they just did not make the plays at the end to make it. Even though I, you know, I told you I'm always going to bitch about the rest because you know Isaiah Thomas starts the game with like a flailing foul right away, uh, which you know upset me. But Rashad, we got to talk about this bench now. To be fair, uh, Bogdanovich played 16 minutes. Jennings played six minutes. Mihimi, 11 minutes. Jason Smith, 3 minutes. So, when you say that they got... And then, on their bench, Brown played 20. Olenek played 28. Smart played 30. Rozier played 4. So, to be fair, that the discrepancy, 48 points to 5, was the difference. So, I'm saying, to be fair, the Wizards bench didn't have much opportunities. But, that's also on Brooks not to go to them. But, but that also gives them energy in... in and the Wizards just didn't have any, anyone else to go to. And I thought Mahimi was terrible. I thought, I thought Jennings was bad. The Bogdanovich was, uh, he was minus 19 on the court in 16 minutes. He only shot two threes. Uh, one, he made one big one, I thought, for a momentum changer. But I needed him to shoot at least six or seven threes. I mean, there's no reason for him to play if he does not get five or six three-point attempts. And sometimes that's maybe not his fault. Maybe they should run some more sets for him. But maybe you go smaller with him and try to launch some threes there uh, in in the second half, and I didn't see them go to that at all. What was your what's just what's your thoughts about that? I mean, number one, the Celtics are a great rebounding team, so the, one of the biggest strengths of Gortat besides the screen is rebounding. And if you're not going to, I just don't feel like they would have lost much by getting Gortat out of there and putting Jason Smith. At the very least, Jason Smith plays strong post defense, and he can step out and hit a three. You know, he can unclog the lane for Wall or Bill. I didn't understand why that didn't happen. You know, I don't I don't know if Oufre didn't play for six minutes because he was hurt or because Coach Brooks just didn't feel that comfortable with him. But I felt like Oufre could have come in. You know, these, these are players who are at different points during the regular season and the playoffs, to be honest, have given you sparks. And when your team is not... When your team is a little fatigued and the game is close, you need those sparks. And I just felt like they, you could have put, could have put Sadoransky in or, or Jason Smith or Brandon Jennings. No, Brandon Jennings could have played six seconds if, or even less. For us, I think. You know, what, was, what was wrong with him in the first half? He didn't look to shoot. You have talked about this on this podcast, and you're right. And I would, you know, hey, we need him to run the second unit. And you're like, no, dude, this guy is a scorer. He scored 50 points in an NBA game. Right, he has been a number two or one option throughout his NBA career on most of the teams that he's on, and here he is in the playoffs. And we saw it in Game Two against Atlanta, where he got a spark, which helped him get back the momentum. And he didn't even look to shoot it, dude. And like and it, it was, it was so tentative. And I'm like, I mean, like, yeah, I'm not saying like, oh, hey, you got the green light, Brandon Jennings, but like, yo, dude, like, let's look at the other options out there. Like, it's either Beal off a double screen. 
or we get Bogdanovich, or you can create. And he was just passive as hell. I, I, I don't know if he, like, shrunk in the moment, but he was bad all series. I mean, I mean, he was way better against Atlanta than he was against Boston. Yeah, he was playing not to mess up. Not to, he was not playing to win, and it just, you know, he at no point did he make anybody take him seriously as a threat. Even if he had just jacked up a couple wild shots, it, I mean, that's what he does. You would have seen him get in rhythm. So, again, in, in the off season, this bench is going to have to be revamped. Revamped. They're going to have to. Some of the players they need for the bench aren't even expensive. You know, they need players who specialize in one or two things um, because you just. You just can't get by points. Now, granted, the 48 that Boston got is a little skewed because Olenek went, you know, went Jordan on us. But still, all of Bogdanovich's five, just five points were in the first half. That means the bench didn't give them anything in the second half of an intense game seven. And w- so, why Olenek and Smart are contributing, right? Right. I mean, and Olenek really hasn't been contributing them. And even, J- even Jalen Brown had nine points, had the athletic finish, had the big three in the corner. I think that guy has a chance to be good, too, which pisses me off even more because they got the number one pick. <laughs> right. And Rozier may not have done anything the last couple of games, I, but I early like, in the I series. Like, I like him, too. He was wreaking havoc. So, you know, they're, they're as somebody said, the, the Wizards may have a better starting five, but the Boston is a, is a better and deeper team, and I can't disagree with that. And what is up with the Mahimi? Okay, listen, I know – that you can't really finish that well. You can't. Sure as hell can't make a free throw. I think you've missed now six straight free throws there in the postseason to end it. But his defense, he, he it was really bad. I got. I was like, dude, the reason you got sixty million dollars, reason that you had a, a good year for Indiana to be a top free agent to get a payday, was because you could protect the rim. You could you could play the pick and rolls. I'm not saying that you have to be isolated on, you know, Isaiah Thomas or something like that, but you got your wingspan, and I've, we saw it in the regular season. But he was really bad the last two games, especially in Game Seven, committing bad fouls, like hip checking guys, and then wondering why he wasn't getting the call. Hell, he even hip checked Isaiah Thomas once, and didn't even. And luckily, the Wizards didn't they didn't call the foul on them. But I was just like amazed how bad. I mean, I knew he's bad at finishing, and he obviously has no moves at all around the around the rim. I knew that. But you at least got to give it to me on the defensive end, and I was just hugely, hugely disappointed about how well, how poorly uh, he performed in Game Seven. You know, what's even more disappointing is had had the Wizards advanced against Cleveland, Mahimi would have been extremely useful in putting a body and keeping Tristan Thompson off the boards. I mean, that's that's why you get somebody like Mahimi to guard somebody yep. like that. But against. Al Horford and Olenek. Kelly Olenek. Yep. and I mean, against Amir Johnson, you and I could look good, yeah. but mainly against Al Horford, it doesn't it doesn't help because he can take Mahimi out way out of his comfort zone. He can drive right by him, pump a. I mean, it's just it just wasn't it wasn't a good matchup. And you know, when I when I look at how the NBA is going, and when you look at the teams that the Wizards have to get by, and you see that Mahimi is still on the books, it's just you just shake your head. And it's like this. You know, because he's not going to get any better. A big man coming off two injuries, one that kept him from playing, and two that had him hobble going, I mean, initially, and the second injury, which was a calf that had him hobble going into the playoffs, where this isn't like 23-year-old or 26-year-old Bill where you feel like they're a healthy season is just around the corner. Big men start deteriorating at the age where Mahimi is, and if we're going to get less and less, and that paycheck is not is going to stay the same. It's like an anvil going down the water. Well, let's look. I mean, you have Boston with Horford going to play the five, and then you have 
when Thompson, who's more athletic, can can cover a little bit better than Mahimi at his age, and then you got Love if they want to go super small. And those are the two teams they still this team still has to beat to advance. Commercial break time sneakers, S-N-E-K-I-S dot com, DMV Sports Apparel. The other night when I watched the Wizards fall in game seven, I was wearing the sneakers shirt. Some dude asked me where I got it. I told him. So people, go get some gear and at checkout, enter playoffs. And part of your proceeds help continue this podcast. And I really appreciate it. Now, back to the show. Sneakers, playoffs. Do it. Sneakers.com. Now forget about the Sixers who are going to have Embiid and, you know, they figure they'll be making some noise next year. And Ben Simmons, it's just, I don't know, it, it, it's, it's depressing because we have our most versatile interior defender is going to be, what, 33, 34, and has had leg injuries. It's just not its not what you want to hear going into an offseason. So, yeah. once, once again, we're faced with wondering what kind of magic our GM can, can, can come up with. And Rashad, how are you feeling throughout the game? Because the Wizards go down 10-2 the first quarter, and I'm like, oh, shit, here it is. Same thing, they call timeout, same thing happened in game five, and they come back. You know, they're down 27-23 after the first quarter. You know, some of these easy buckets I was discussing earlier, Boston was getting. But second quarter, the Wiz were down 42-36. They finish on a 19-11 run. Uh, they had 10 fast break points to zero. The Celtics only had three three-pointers at halftime. The Wizards had four starters in double figures. And it's 55-53 at half for shot. And I felt... In a game seven, in an elimination game like this, especially on the road in a hostile environment, you just got to keep winning quarters or staying close, right, to get that opportunity. And I thought the Wizards had done that uh, pretty well in the first half. And how were you feeling at halftime and what happened, how the first half developed? And and tell the people you were at a, a rival podcast that uh, Ben won't let me on, uh, uh, that you did a podcast with him cheating on me, talking about girls earlier. Great analogy. Uh, but I... I had I had some other friends I was going to meet, and we actually end up had we're at Sully's on U Street and had sound. Some other Wizards fans that didn't know we had a big screen, so it looked, sounds like your place is a little more crowded, and you maybe would have liked mine a little bit better. But tell the people about your viewing experience uh, and how the first half unfolded for you. I was fine in the first half, and I felt like the fact that they weren't playing that well, no one was playing well except for Beal, and they were still in the game. And they had to come back from that deficit. I was fine, you know. I didn't. I didn't start losing my shit until uh, I believe it. Yeah, when they went up five, and then um, Marcus Smart hit a three to cut it to, to two, and, and Marcus Smart just looked too comfortable taking it. And that's when I, that's when I worried. But you know, I, I watched the game at a uh, public bar, public public bar, and it was. It was cool. They had a big screen. They had smaller TVs. There were there were people there watching the game. Uh, you know, coming up to Ben and I. Connor was there, our our truth about colleague, and a lot of other people who said that they read my work and listened to Ben. And I was appreciative. You, you signed you autographs and shit, huh? 
No, I'm not. I'm not. We're important. We're important people. That you're listening. We're famous out here in these streets. I, I wish I could forewarn people exactly how boring and uninteresting I am in person. Like, you know, with all due respect to the people who listen and read, I, I don't want to talk to you. I'm socially awkward, and you know, when you're sending emails like Steve Harvey out there in these streets, like, like don't talk to me. Send me a memo. Right, because all I'm going to do is disappoint you. Just, just you know, let live through the writing. But you could see just slowly the air sleep. I mean, because when they went up five, when the Wizards were up five in the third quarter, there was a great feeling. And then when all of a sudden they were down six, you just you could see people like disappointed. And then once the fourth quarter came, I mean, you could see body language was different. There were a couple of people who left when uh, the Wizards were down ten with about three four minutes left. It just was. Even in the first quarter, when they were down eight, nobody was disappointed because there were still big shots that were being hit along the way. But you know, it was uh, it was festive as as much as it could be for the first three quarters and the fourth quarter, and the energy just died. And then, you know, it was <laughs> the funny part of this, Adam, is that yes, the game was on, but there was just there were two TVs on each side of the bar that had the Penguins playing, and it's like really. Oh, oh. God, just, 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 just right in the dagger. I did. They at the bar I was at had one team with the Penguins, and I saw that they were down one of in the series. Because I, I obviously I'm out on hockey. I'm done after the Caps misery. And someone told me. Then later on, I asked uh, my roommate. Later, I was like, he's like, oh yeah, the Penguins won in overtime on a game winning shot. I'm like, great, great, glad they won that game. Fuck them. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is like DC sports misery right there, right, right, right in the in a nutshell. What? Uh, so you know the the third quarter goes, and you know we've discussed that 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 run. I thought there was a couple of lucky threes by Smart, you know, who did contributed, and you know I thought Horford played pretty well for them, and just yeah, I mean it just comes down to like that huge run in the third and fourth. They're gassed. The fourth quarter comes, and I think they cut it to ninety. So they cut it to ninety six ninety, and Olenek goes on this crazy run. But another one was like they finally got down to seven with fifty seconds left, and then once again Marcus Smart makes a layup, man, and that was it. You know, I mean, I'm saying that they would come back with forty seconds, but you know, in the NBA, I mean, you can hit three, and then now that, that was all she wrote. And of course, I hate Marcus Smart, I hate Kelly Olenek, I hate Jay Crowder. I feel bad for Isaiah Thomas about his sister, but I don't like him. And I think Brad Stevens, I'm done with Brad Stevens. I hate Boston. I hate the racist fans. I hate the massholes. I, I'm i ready to burn it all down, Rashad. And so it's just an extra gut feeling to know that this Wizards team technically could have won this game. It was a coin flip kind of series. And they blew their chances in game one, but more specifically game two is how I'll look back at this series, how the Wizards lost it, was being up six with two minutes left, up two after Porter hits that three and that bullshit foul call, and then nothing in overtime, and then two shots by Wall and Beal. I mean, that's how I look this series, because I think they go back home, they don't lose at home. They steal one of those games in game one or two. I think they close this out in game six. Oh, I agree. I agree. And, 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 so. and, and it burns. And then once again, here we are, Rashad. Uh... Second round exit. How do you feel now about this exit compared to the last two years? Does it feel different? Because we finally had a Wall and Beal healthy. 
throughout the whole years. We have definitely a better coach than Randy Whitman, even though we've been critical of Scott Brooks. You know, you have Otto Porter, who did make some plays. I mean, Otto Porter had 20 points. Otto Porter was 0-2 from 3. Dude, I counted on the rewatch. He made three threes after, like, a foul or the butt. Like, something that happened. He cashed all his shots from three-pointers when they didn't count. I was like, fucking A, are you serious? Uh, Markeith had 18 points, three big threes. Uh, he was 7-14 uh, from the field, 19 rebounds. Gortat, 39 minutes. Uh, two of six from the field, 11 rebounds, four turnovers, one block, six points, plus seven on the court. Actually, the best plus minus on the team. But his it's one thing when Gortat would get switched off on a small, that was fine. But it was just straight up him like not knowing coverages so many times. That was a point that was really glaring. And tell the people what he said today uh, with his comments before we uh, move on and in this <laughs> I mean just to paraphrase he basically said that uh, you know he his role was well, said centers in general but specifically his role was not appreciated and he does more than what shows up in the stat sheet and that he was going to talk to his agent to figure out whether this was a good fit which to me was code for I want out of here because you know I mean, at this point, Gortat doesn't need to check to see whether this team is a good fit. He is a part of the, of the fabric of the team. And ironically enough, there was a point towards the end of the season that Gortat was not playing a lot of fourth quarter minutes. And we were wondering why and was something wrong with him or was it just for defensive purposes? He was in the game in crunch time this time and didn't have much of an effect. So, I mean, it seems like Gortat may be trying to work his way out of the game, but as I tweeted, I mean, off the team, but I don't think you can take anything seriously that said less than 24 hours after a loss. I mean, I, what comes to mind is Ben Roethlisberger saying he wanted to retire when the Steelers lost, and I'm pretty sure he'll be back in training camp this year. you got to give people a chance to decompress and to really think. Um, oh, I mean, look, but, look, look, look at fans, Rashad. I mean, what you said they were talking shit on. Sports Talk Radio. I was on Wizards Reddit. There was comment sections saying that Brooks is a terrible coach. John Wall choked. It was bad. I had multiple people on Facebook basically leaving messages saying, like, I'm not out here for some John Wall slander. People are looking for scapegoats. People are looking to blame. I get it. You know, tensions, emotions are high. I think it will take a couple days. Just even as fans. I can't imagine as players being in that that high impact thing for the last two weeks, knowing that you probably lost a series that you probably should have won. Right. And you asked me how I feel about this season. You know, I have mixed feelings because on one hand, you felt like, look at where this team was at the beginning of the year where you didn't get KD. You got a coach that felt like a consolation prize. You had a starting five, but you really didn't have a team that you feel comfortable with around that starting you, five. You gave $127 million to somebody that never played more than 58 games. That too. Right? So John, was, Wall, John Wall had two off-season knee surgeries, correct? Right. So, so there was a lot of uncertainty. And then on top of that, they started 2-8. and eight. And so for them to be in this position that they unfortunately ended up with yesterday, coming from where they started, you feel like that's you'll take that. But on the other hand, and the thing that makes me nervous is that you had – you left something on the table. And you left something on the table during a season where Wall and Beal were healthy. We don't know if that's going to happen next year. you know. And 
if that doesn't happen next year, then the first thing and people got, like us got, is going to Yeah, they got uh, Porter, Porter situation as well is out there. Well, I didn't even get to that yet because yeah. no matter what, it no matter what, it works if Wall and Beal are healthy regardless of who else are on the team. That's true. And if if they, if they go down, the first thing people like you and me are going to do is point back to this exact moment when they could have won the series and they could have maximized the health of Wall and Beal and did not. And now you're throwing in the fact that, you know, is Porter going to come back? Are they going to look at it differently? Are they going to go after Paul George as uh, David Aldridge hinted at in his column last Monday? Is Are you going to trade Gortat? And then the most dreaded thought that we have to think of is what is Ernie going to going to dredge up? What is he going to do in free agency? So it's you can feel good about the year and what they've accomplished, but I mean it, it makes you a little makes me a little nervous going into next year, knowing that there are a lot of things that can go wrong. And you know, and, and number one being the health of your two best players. Yeah, I mean, what, do you let do you let Porter walk? Do you match? Do you resign him to a max deal? What's that mean with Wall's future? What is Wall thinking about right now? I mean, you had two years to, to plan for this summer last year, and it was a bust, and it, and it manifested in Game 7. Now, granted, I know that you don't want to place blame on Ernie Grunfeld. It's on the players. It is on the coaching staff. It is on a series. It has nothing to do with that. But I look at who is his options right here. It's like guys that you signed or you you know got off the scrap even Jennings or a guy you had to give away a first round pick to get away from a shitty contract or a guy that you paid sixty four million dollars who can't cover pick and roll and that's that's his main fucking asset on the team and can't make a free throw when it matters. So yes, there's a lot of questions gonna be happening. I think that the best thing for this team is probably to bring Porter back. I know that me and you probably disagree with that and We'll talk about that later on. I'll probably have a whole podcast about what to do with Porter. You know, every time I ask people questions on the Twitter machine, that's the one, and we've discussed it here and there. I think it's too raw right now to think about this summer because I just think back to how this ride started on Media Day, and here it is, May Media Day is in mid September, and I'm like, it's over. Like today, there was all these talking shows, and I know Game Seven was all that they're going to talk about. As I'm watching Golden State shred uh, San Antonio right now by 25. On the, on the on the screen, and I was it's just more of like it's over. The ride's over. There's not another game. There isn't another thing to talk about. There there won't be any more moments of uh, this season. We won't have the LeBron James John Wall matchup that I really have wanted since to bury you know the Gilbert Arenas you know Cinco de Mayo game from a long time ago and the travel and all that. I would love to, I love to have seen that circle back and I still feel that the Wizards match up better to the Cavs than the Celtics even though the Celtics bat, match up better to the Wizards because we saw it and Rashad before we move on we would talk about who has to be the best two best players in the game Wallenbeal or better and Isaiah and Isaiah okay he hit clutch threes we talked about 9 of 21 he had 29 points but to me I thought Isaiah's most Asset was he had 12 assists, man, two turnovers. He found those guys down low. It wasn't really him going to the rim and breaking someone down and kicking it. It was just him being alert and seeing the open man cutting. And he was finding dudes right at the rim for layups. I, I don't know how many of his assists were layups because sometimes assists can be like empty assists where, hey, you know, it's an assist if the guy makes the shot or not. Now, yeah, you created it from the double team, but it's all determined whether that guy makes the 20 footer or the 25 footer. 
But Isaiah's a lot of his passes were like just straight up passes right at the rim and guys yeah, yeah. making layups. And so I was like, wow. Like even though you had, you know John Wall had how many John Wall had? he finished with eleven assists and, and and Isaiah made the big big threes. But but it was Marcus Smart with thirteen. It was Crowder with fourteen. It was How Horford with fifteen and five assists and six rebounds. And so once again, Wall, Beal, Thomas Horford probably you know probably a wash. But when you throw in Crowder, Smart, and Olenek compared to Morris and Porter and nobody else stepping up, that is why the Wizards lost. Yeah, I think Isaiah did a great job of adjusting to the way the Wizards were defending him in previous games and he couldn't always get his shot off. I mean, he, he still managed to get 29 points and he hit some timely shots, but he was definitely looking for his teammates and that, that made him even more difficult to, to defend and you know, and we've already talked about the bench ad nauseum. I mean, I, Wall and Bill needed to be the best players on the court, but it wouldn't have hurt if somebody from the bench had kicked their chip in, and that it just wasn't to be. So, you know, I'm sure they're going to be thinking about that for the next couple of days, just like we are. So, Rashad, let's end this podcast on a happy note in a weird way because we did not do one uh, before Game 7, after Game 6. We were both there last Friday night, elimination game, uh, we have wrote, written multiple pieces on truthaboutit.net to so go check them out. You had a really good one about what it was like to be a Wizards blogger fan. I just want to let people a little insight because that still is going to be the number one moment people will remember. But the piece I wrote, uh, you know, of course I published it like an hour before Game 7, is that Wall shot would not go down in franchise lore as much unless they won the series. But still, that was one of the coolest, most awesomest moments. I needed Valium and Xanax and whiskey. That's all I tweeted throughout the fourth quarter. But the tension and the anticipation and the way fans left that arena and the excitement and the fun and how loud it was, I think me and you try to describe that in our writing and and how just... What an out-of-body experience and surrealness it was to actually be there last Friday night. Because if Wall misses that shot and they go out 4-2 at the same moment the way they've gone out the last three series here in the playoffs, even though we're bitching about here in Game 7, I think it's a different narrative. It's Al Horford again beating the Wizards on that fucking crazy bank shot. Back and forth, back and forth. But it became John Wall all weekend. Now there's Game 7. And it was... Pretty fucking fantastic. And so I'd like to talk about your feelings uh, about the stuff you wrote or just how you feel about Game 6 because hopefully fans will still take away that memory and those feelings because the three victories the Wizards had in this series were two blowouts were awesome. And then John Wall finally hitting a game winner with elimination. Uh, actually, they said there was a first shot with elimination on the line that someone had made in the last 10 seconds since Ray Allen uh, is big shot for the Heat. Oh, that's a specialized step. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I remember the Wizards going down by seven points, and I think Isaiah Thomas hit a three or something like that, and I just remember thinking that the game was over. And in my head, I was already working on a narrative of what I was going to do, and then, you know, Bill hit a shot, and they were coming back. And I just, there were a couple things about the last 20 seconds of the game that, that, that struck me. You could see the crowd was into it. And the first one was that Brad Stevens called a great out-of-bounds play 
to get Horford the shot. I mean, he had basically had Isaiah Thomas drive down the middle of the lane. He drew two people. He kicked it over to Horford, who had a bank shot. And I remember thinking, that's that's a great that's a great play. It's the perfect play to run because you think Isaiah Thomas is going to shoot the ball. And I thought that play was going to, to win the game. And then when Wall took his shot, I I remember I was like, no, no. I looked at Mike Sykes from uh, SB Nation, right? Or Bullets Forever. And I was like, no, no, no. Before that shot went in, because as we've discussed before, Wall was not shooting well. And I just thought that Beal, who was shooting much better, should have taken that shot or he should have looked for him. And when, and when the shot went in, it was, now I didn't cheer. Because uh, the first thing I did is look up the, look how much time was left and I was nervous. I think it was 1.7 seconds or something like that. But it was just, in hindsight, when you watch that replay, he shot it so confidently, and it was almost two, as two big dribbles, as, two dribbles right into it, man. Right, it almost as big of a cheer as Pierce before we knew the shot didn't count, and it was just, it was just amazing. You look down, everybody was jumping up and down and high fiving, and you know, even more so once Isaiah missed the shot, and you know, I, we're not even going to get into that guy who, who, who's the wall hitter. We won't even name him, but. Or, or John Feinstein, who was also shitting on uh, John Walsh today for jumping on the scoreboard. I just think that, I mean, on the scores table, that I think it was a very impromptu thing for John Wall. It's the way he hit the shot. It's what he had seen, uh, how the Celtics came in the arena, and how it, he was able to stave off elimination on his home floor. I think that was a very emotional thing. And... He jumped up on the table afterwards, and I, I didn't think it was a act of defiance or disrespect or something that should only be reserved for um, a big game. I mean, shit, I'm reading this book, Showtime, by Jeff Perlman, and he talks about how, how the first first NBA game Magic Johnson ever played, it hit a wing shot and jumped into Kareem's arms. Nobody, you know, that's some, sometimes it's just about being in the moment. It's not any premeditated thing that he thought about. So when he did that. The fans fed off of him. He fed off the fans. Oh, do you think you think any of the twenty thousand people in the arena cared about John Wall jumping on the score table? They loved every minute of that. What the fuck, dude? Come on now. And so it was. It was just a great moment. This is entertainment, right? (laughs) Right. Come on now. Right. So it's it's like pure humanity, emotion, what you want, not like robots. (laughs) <laughs> well, I find it very interesting that the two people who said that were people who weren't there. I mean, I've, I've, oh god, exactly. So, but uh, and just going past journalists, I, I wrote about Mike Wise and how he was pumped up, and I saw uh, Mike Prater. Just every all, all of the people who were supposed to be impartial were just energized because it was just. I mean, number one, it's good energy. Number two, when it's that, when energy is that good, you know you're going to get a good. Uh, a good locker room session with the players because they're going to be wanting to engage. And it was just a surreal environment. I mean, I left the arena, it was almost 1 o'clock, and then just on the streets you could hear people talking and watching NBA TV and SportsCenter or recreations of the shot. And it was, it, was a, it was a feel-good moment that you knew that you could really only hold on to for 48 hours before you had to start thinking about Game 7. But it, it was a... It, it was a great moment, and it was it was great for the crowd to have that kind of that kind of send off come going into Game Seven on the road. Yeah, I mean, I had so many feelings. I mean, I was in the arena in 2006, Cinco de Mayo game, Game Six, Cavs Wizards. The Wizards are down three with 
I don't know, 10 seconds left or something, and Gilbert Arena shoots like a 35-footer, almost at this, the same place that John Wall shot it. So I would say, well, granted, Gilbert's was like, you know, 10 feet, 10 feet farther, <laughs> and John Gilbert was going up a court, and he, and I've still to this day, I've never heard an arena louder, concerts, than when the Wizards, when he hit that shot. Now, granted, then he misses the two free throws, and Damon fucking Jones, and I went to a whiskey dark place after that night. But it reminded that those memories were coming that, oh my God, like, you know, it was different because Gilbert's shot was to tie it to go to overtime. But I was thinking about how Wall shot to win it over the weekend is similar to Gilbert's in the sense that they still had to win a game seven. And so the Wizards, that shot didn't go down in Wizards lore because they lost in overtime, right? So they win the game in overtime, force a game seven. Maybe we're talking about, but we're talking about like, now, this was LeBron's first series, and the Wizards had, you know, Antoine Jameson can't play defense there in game game two. Uh, and the Wizards, I think game five, they, they could have won. And, and, and the other thing that struck me, too, is like Al Horford getting the tip in in 2015, the last time the Wizards were in the playoffs, then Al Horford taking, picking Boston over the Wizards. And we ended up with Yamahimi, Jason Smith, and Andrew Nicholson instead of him after Kevin Durant won't give us a meeting. And now it's Al Horford again. And I, that narrative was just in my mind why John, but that imbalance play is happening. Like, this is what we're going to talk about all summer. This is what I'm going to talk about this podcast. And John Wall comes in. They do set a back pick for Bradley Beal, who's not open. Porter, I thought maybe she called a timeout, didn't throw it to, to Wall. And Beal is open on another back pick that Gortat sets. But Wall went confident. Bam. And it turns out to be the first game winning shot, that Wall, uh, uh, the, the first game winning three. That Wall's ever hit in his career in the last ten seconds. I did not know that. Awesome. I didn't know that either. Yeah, and, and I mean, he did some you know shots to put them ahead. They ended up winning. It wasn't a walk off. But then it's also like the crowd's going nuts. But I'm like, you gotta hit one stop. So I think I even told you guys like, hey, they got a foul to give. They should foul. They throw it. They put Ubre in to foul Linick at the rim, and and. People behind me, there's a foul, and people behind me were like freaking out, like, "Oh my god, there's a foul!" It's like, "No, no, no, it's good strategy." You know, it turns out to be uh, what they got one more set, one last second they should have got on the NBA report that comes out after the game that analyzes the plays in the last two minutes. But they also analyzed that uh, Al Horford basically hugged Bradley Beal, set a moving block, basically blocked Bradley Beal for like five yards on Avery Bradley's shot with 30 seconds. So I didn't feel that bad, Rashad, about that extra second. But when that thing goes down, I zoom in on my camera on John Wall. He runs immediately to his parent, his mom, uh, and to his family, hugs his, his people. He's going nuts, and then just sprints to the scores table and goes to the fans. And it is just amazing. Anyone hating on that moment, uh, you must suck at parties. Or you have an agenda that you just love. Uh, yeah, I did see that Colin Cowherd today was, uh, I, I guess we don't mention his name, but Shrewbag, was going off about how Wizards fans... Uh, they were really silent last night on his Twitter, how they've been tweeting him all weekend, but they didn't tweet him. I was like, what, I was supposed to tweet you and say you suck after we lose? Is that what you wanted? And then you would, you would be okay? You know, it's, it's, they get too much attention. I've wrote a million words about him, but I wrote a really good piece about that play. I broke down the shot and everything on Truth About It, so go check it out. But it's one of those moments when we look back in the summer that like, yo, that's the last game we had was that moment. It sucks that the Wizards couldn't, find a way to will to victory in this game seven, Rashad, but I have talked about this team way too long. Is there anything else that you would like to mention about this season? 
these playoffs, uh, we're just we're bound to see if the Cavs can beat the Warriors in Gold State uh, uh, five games. I mean, I, I, I feel Boston's going to get smoked. And that, I think they are too. Although I think they're going to steal Game One. Um, but I I guess if I can end on a, a semi positive note, yes. is that uh, Otto Porter said after today's media availability, he said we'll be back. Now, that could have been just a throwaway line, um, but it also could mean that he wants to come back and he plans on coming back. So, you know, that, that's, that's good news, but it's just another, another season of watching a free agent that, whether, to decide whether they're going to stay or go, or watching the team decide whether they're going to let him go or keep him, and then also watching that team try to fill holes in the roster. So, and I'm sure, like you said, there'll be plenty of time to pot about that as we get closer to draft day and free agency. So right now, just want to acknowledge how disappointing it is, acknowledge how well they played, and now we're in a wait-and-see mode. Listen, man, they competed. They gave effort. The coaching staff did, you know, I can nitpick here and there, but overall they were better than Randy Whitman. It was definitely an upgrade. Beal was healthy. Wall had the best season of his career. Markeith. Had his moments. He didn't try. That that you know, Porter shot so well and developed. You know, Ubre had his flashes. There's a lot of positives uh, to be had with this team, and it's been a fun, fun ride. And if you would ask me after John Wall went for 53 and they lost to Orlando, that I, me and you would be talking about a Game Seven loss. That I thought they maybe could have won a series against Boston to go play the Cavs to be a Final Four NBA team. I say no fucking way. There's no way this team would be there. So there's the context, the happiness to leave there. Now, am I going to talk about, oh, cheap-ass, monumental, firing Phil Chenier, and you can't go over the luxury tax, uh, but you want to talk about championships, but you can buy arena teams? Do you want me to talk about Ernie Grunfeld's uh, mis- mishaps and what this, what they're actually doing? We can discuss, you know, John Wall's future. We can go into the lack of draft picks, the lack of development, what are they going to do in Summer League? What's going to go on with this team? I'm going to discuss that probably in June. But right now, it's just kind of reflecting on how this playoffs has rolled and just remarking on the fact that this honestly has been the best Wizards team since I've been blogging about this team and writing it for eight or nine years. This is the best team that they've had. This is the best team of the John Wall era. Uh, it's unfortunate they didn't win 50 games. And they, they didn't achieve their goal in the Eastern Conference Finals. But they let it all out there, and I don't feel like they half-assed it like James Harden did in Game 6. For him, I don't feel like there was some major adjustment or major player that could have played. Uh, Boston just made some major plays. and all. Boston earned the home, field, home court advantage in the regular seasons, and that's what kind of ended up deciding this one in a way. All right, Boston was a better team. Uh, I, uh, I don't know if we can go that far. I'm still mad at them. I'm still mad at those meatheads. Uh, before the bar, on I had met my buddy for a bar on Game Six at the Turtle, and there's all these Boston fans saying "Go Celtics" and all stuff. And I almost dropped an Adam Jones, but I was trying to be professional. I saw my media pass, so I, I didn't want to go to that route. But I'm just over those fans and those people, and especially now that they have the first fucking pick in the draft. Well, they can get Fultz. I mean, what the fuck? I think they can't get Lonzo. So now the Lakers are going to get Ball and the big baller brand. Is that what's going to happen? I don't know. Boston might trade 
I don't know. Boston can do so many things. I mean, they can end up getting Gordon Hayward, and you know they they can, they can do a lot of different things. They're in a great position. I'm, are you going to keep Isaiah? Because if you're going to keep Isaiah, you don't need Fultz or, or Are you going to pay Isaiah two hundred million dollars? <laughs> right. Are you going to keep Isaiah? Get Gordon Hayward and get Jimmy Butler. There's so many things they can do. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that on our draft preview. Yeah. All right. Well, will Hey, man. It's been, it's been a great season. Thank you for. <laughs> Thank you. Actually, thank your wife more, too, for allowing me and you to uh, discuss all this fucking team. And I'm not going to... Uh, who knows? Uh, I might have cried if we bought, beat the Cavs to go to the finals. Maybe I got emotional. Uh, I did go to Ben's Chili Bowl last night and looked at the Beal and Wall uh, stuff on the mural. I forgot some chili cheese fries and a strawberry shake and just, just had a moment where I just looked out the, like where this team has gone from, from... The guns and Gilbert Arenas to, wow, like being on the big stage with John Wall and having fans at random bars wearing wizard stuff. And here's Beal and Wall on an iconic landmark here on U Street. And just to see where it has started to there, like it's it's still pretty cool, man, to where it's developed. And so I want to leave the people with a positive note. So uh, that's all I got, Rashad. That's all I got. It's over. It's all over. I'm done. Oh, and to, to the listeners, I will be covering the WNBA. I have yes. potential, so you can. Should, you can we check pod, me should, out. We, should we podcast about them? Because I saw that they won, and uh, Homegirl is awesome, man. I was trying to tell people the other day. I was, like, I was like, "Do you know that she's like top five women player in the world? Like, like, like legitimately, like the, the one of the top five female basketball players in the entire world now plays for the Mystics." Right, uh, I'm excited. She and she. I think she was an MVP a couple years ago. I know she's Rookie of the Year. But yeah, then she, I believe so. Then she found her way out of Chicago because she wanted to be closer home to Delaware. She did get married recently to her girlfriend, I saw. And she had 24 points in their, their first game. And they also kept uh, the other good player, who's a Belgian uh, shooter. That's pretty good. I, that's the only ones I know, honestly. I think I did the Lada, maybe, the point guard but from Duke. But when are you covering the game? You credentialed? Uh, I did. The next home game is May 26th, so I'll be there. Mm. Nice. I'm thinking about taking my uh, boys' basketball team to a game, so maybe I'll uh, see if I can, you know, show them uh, some some mystics behind the scenes. But that's cool. That's for the people. Uh, you get, we'll get some mystics coverage. Uh, we'll talk about how we have no draft picks, and I'll go off on a whole rant about that. Who knows what Ernie Grunfeld has up his sleeve. And for those wondering if they're going to fire Ernie Grunfeld, you know, of all these comments I'm seeing, uh, come on now. You, you know better than that. Tim, the Osses made a lot of money. You think they're going to fire fire Ernie Grunfeld? I do feel like Ernie should retire. They should give it to Tommy Shepard, but we know that that's not going to happen. I am excited to see what Scott Brooks has uh, for another summer with some development of, the, of these young players. Can Sadoransky contribute? Can Ubre? What's her, what's his ceiling? Can Mac do anything? You know, a Chefu. I don't really have too much to say, but you know what? What kind of diamond in the roughs? Uh, what's that other guy's name? McCullough. You know, can he be somebody at some point? So. I am kind of mini intrigued to see what this staff, uh, who I have high hopes for, can do with some of these young players to see if we can develop someone on the cheap in-house t- to be a contributor uh, in the rotation uh, moving forward. Because I think that is going to be clutch because, yes, Wall and Beal are going to be healthy, but 
But as we've seen, to get over the top, they got to have some development. Or they have to go over the luxury tax. So stop being cheap-ass, Ted. Sean, thanks for everything, man. It's been great. No problem. Everyone, go to truthaboutit.net. Read our stuff. I don't know if anyone's wrote about Game 7 yet. Maybe everyone's uh, being too depressed. But someone will soon. I know Adam Rubin for Truth About It went to it. Kyle is in Miami for work. That's why he cannot podcast with me. But, uh, yeah, that's all I got. Thank you, everyone, for this fucking wild ride of a season. I appreciate your support and listening and continually uh, caring about this basketball team because we obviously care about it way too much, but so do you for listening. So, as always, go Wizards. F Boston. Peace out. I ain't okay. got no motherfucker. That's so why I fucked your bitch, you fat motherfucker. Westside, bad boy killers. You know who the realest is, niggas. We bring it to you. First off, fuck your bitch in the click you claim. Westside, when we ride, come equip with game. You claim to be a player, but I fucked your wife. We bust on bad boys, niggas fuck for life. Plus, Puffy trying to see me weak. Hearts I rip. Vicky Smalls and Junior Mafia, some mock ass bitches. We keep on coming while we running for your juice. Steady gunning, keep on busting at the boots. You know the rules. Little Caesar, go ask your homie how I leave you. Cut your young ass up, leave you in pieces. Now be deceased. Little Kim, don't fuck around with real cheese. Quick to snatch your ugly ass off the streets. I don't even know why I'm on this track. Y'all niggas ain't even on my level. I'ma let my little homies ride on you, bitch made yeah, ass yeah, bad boy. Fuck bitch. Up, yeah. Feel. Get out the way, yo. Get out the way, yo. Biggie Smalls just got dropped. Little move past the mat. And let me hit him in his back. Frank Wright needs to get spanked right for setting traps. Little accident murderers. And I ain't never heard of ya. Poisonous cats attack when I'm serving ya. Spank the shake your whole style when I gank. Guard your rank cause I'ma slam your ass in the paint. Puffy weaker than the fucking block I'm running through, nigga. And I smoke a junior mafia in front of you, nigga. With the ready power, tucking my gas under my Eddie Bauer. Your cloud petty sour, I'll put packages every hour. Hit em up. Grab your blocks when you see Tupac. Call the cops when you see Tupac. Uh, who shot me, but your punks didn't finish. Now you're about to feel the wrath of a menace. Nigga, we hit em up. People, how we do it? Keep it real. It's penitentiary still. This ain't no freestyle battle. All you niggas getting killed with your mouths open. Trying to come up off of me, you in the clouds open. Smoking dope, it's like a Sherman.
you fake G's to your knees, coppin' please is easy Little Kim is you coked up or doped up? It's your little junior whopper click smoked up. What the fuck is you stupid? I take money, crash and mash through Brooklyn. With my click looting, shooting and polluting your block. With 15 shot, cock lock to your knot. Outlaw, my fear click, moving up another notch. In your box top spots, get mopped and dropped. All your fake ass East Coast props brainstormed and locked. User, be brighter, a pop style taker. I tell you to your face, you ain't shit but a faker. So for the Alize with a chaser, about to get murdered for the paper. ED, I mean approach the scene of the caper. Like a loke, with low season and a choke. Cause don't smoke, we ain't no motherfucking joke. Dog like niggas better be known. We approaching in the wide open girl smoking. No need for hoping it's a battle loss. I got them close as soon as the funk is popping off. Nigga, I hit them up. Now you tell me who won. I see them, they run. <laughs> They don't want to see us. Old Junior Mafia clique dressing up trying to be us. How the fuck they going to be the mob when we always on our job? We millionaires. Killing ain't fair, but somebody got to do it. Oh, yeah, Mob D. <laughs> you want to fuck with us? You little young ass motherfuckers. Don't one of you niggas got sickle cell or something. You fucking with me, nigga. You fuck around, have a seizure or a heart attack. You better back the fuck up before you get smacked the fuck up. It's how we do it on our side. Any of you niggas from New York that want to bring it, bring it. But we ain't singing, we bringing drama. Fuck you and your motherfucking mama. We gonna kill all you motherfuckers. Now when I came out, I told you it was just about Biggie. Then everybody had to open their mouth with a motherfucker opinion. Well, this is how we gonna do this. Fuck Mob Deep. Fuck Biggie. Fuck Bad Boy as a staff, record label, and as a motherfucking crew. And if you want to be down with Bad Boy, then fuck you too. Chino XL, fuck you too. All you motherfuckers, fuck you too. Motherfuckers, fuck you, die slow, motherfucker. My phone phone makes sure all y'all kids don't grow. You motherfuckers can't be us or see us. We motherfucking thug like riders west side till we die. Out here in California, nigga, we warn you, we'll bomb on you motherfuckers. We do our job. You think you mob, nigga, we the motherfucking mob. Ain't nothing but killers and real niggas, all you motherfuckers feel us. Our shits go triple in four quadruple. You niggas laugh cause our staff got guns in their motherfuckers' belts. You know how it is when we drop records, they fell. You niggas can't feel it. 